Hey, welcome back to Well, That's Interesting, the holy shit, these two stories actually end well edition. <laughs> Today's episode 139, woman performs C-section on self, survives, and man treats his snake bite with car battery. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. I shouldn't be laughing, but but I am. Oh God, my friends, today is quite the day, as you could tell by the title of today's show. Now, if you're a longtime member of the flock, then you know we've covered many a story about people being people and self-medicating their ailments with the best of intentions. Uh, for example, way the fuck back in In Between 049, we told the tale of a man who had been constipated for an extended period of time, and it was long enough to cause some concern. So he did what any one of us would do and slipped an eel into his anus to get things moving again. Um, it did not end well. If you haven't had a listen uh, to that, for the love of God, please pause this and listen to that. Um, let's just say the eel got bitey. Uh, today, today, however, things actually end well for our patients. Of course, they had to go through hell first to get there. In the first half of the show, a woman alone in the mountains of southern Mexico. She's giving birth in a one-room cabin. Hours go by. The pain is excruciating and becoming worse with every passing moment. And she decides to save herself and her unborn. She decides to operate on herself. My friends, this is the story of the only person known to have performed a successful cesarean section on themselves where both the mother and the newborn survive. Now, I don't think I need to tell you that this story is wild and I fucking cannot wait to get into it. And then after the break, equally wild, but honestly, super bizarre and very face palmy. I mean, what would you do? What would you do if your pet rattlesnake bit you in the face? I'll give you a moment to think about what you would do. Okay, now I'm just taking a guess here, but I think you'd hook yourself up to your car battery and rev the engine. <laughs> Right? I was right. I thought so. I nailed it. Well, one man in the States also agreed with you on that. And we're going to dive into that story as well. Who, what, when, where, and of course, fucking why did why he do it? That will be revealed. And it's a doozy. It's just great. And I'm Jill Chacha. And by the way, if this is your first time listening, welcome to the flock, my adorable, innocent business goose. I suggest to buckle the fuck up, because we're, we're about to begin. And to do so, we need to charge up our favorite time machine, because we're dialing it way the fuck back to a year that we thought all computers and ATMs were just gonna implode. I'm talking about the year 2000. Unfortunately, we are still around today, and we made it out, but um, if you're old enough to remember Y2K, people were genuinely stressed the fuck out. Inez Ramirez Perez, 40 at the time, and a mother of six, was stressed out for completely different reasons, however. My friends, it's March 5th, 2000, and we're in the absolutely stunning state of Oaxaca, Mexico. And for my fellow geographically challenged Americans, you may be wondering where that is exactly, but don't worry, I've got you. Please, imagine Mexico. Well, thank you. Now point to what kind of looks like a curved tail of the country. 
Well, in the very southwest corner of that curve, you'll find Oaxaca, a gorgeous place just teeming with valleys, mountains, and so much life. Oaxaca is one of the most biologically diverse states in all of Mexico. That's saying a lot. Now, Inez lived in those mountains in her one-room cabin filled to the brim with six kids and one on the way. For you see, Inez was in her third trimester. And in the early afternoon of March 5th, familiar labor pains began and went on and on and on. One hour went into two, two into three, three into five hours. My friends, midnight had come and gone, and this birth was bringing back memories of her last pregnancy, which ended tragically for Inez. Three years prior, she gave birth to a stillborn girl due to an obstruction. Now, between these horrifying memories and the fact that, one, the nearest clinic was 80 kilometers or 50 miles away via unpaved roads, and two, her husband-slash-usual birth coach and assistant during labor, well, he was out drinking at a, at a cantina that night, and it had no landline. Now, because of these reasons, this isolated one-room cabin was going to have to be the emergency room, and her younger children were going to have to play nurse. I know. Quote, I couldn't stand the pain anymore, she told the Sydney Morning Herald. And if my baby was going to die, then I decided I would have to die too. But if he was going to grow up, I was going to see him grow up, and I was going to be with my child. I thought that God would save both of our lives. End quote. It's pretty deep. It's pretty deep. My God, my friends, in the early hours of March 6th, Inez downed a few shots of rubbing alcohol, grabbed a six-inch or 15-centimeter blade, and made her first incision. The first of three, actually, according to the wonderfully named Dr. Becky Corkle of IFL Science. Uh, Becky Corkle. <laughs> anyway, from Becky, uh, Inez, quote, sliced her abdomen three times through the skin, fat, and muscle, end quote. The initial cut was a vertical incision to the right of her belly button, which traveled from under the rib cage to just above the bikini line, if you will. And believe it or not, this was a brilliant move on her part, and so was her position. She wasn't lying down. She was squatting with her pelvis forward, and this position allowed her to cut straight through the skin to her uterus. I know, this is tough, but... Stick with me here. That move reduced the risks of knifing any internal organs, and this is what probably saved her life. After more than an hour of carefully navigating her own body so as not to stab intestines and such, Inez cut deep enough to where she could feel the fetus and pull it out. I know. If this sounds hardcore, it fucking is, and it gets even more metal. Quote, Inez bandaged her wound with her sweater and ordered her oldest son, eight-year-old Bendito, to find help in town. After several hours, health workers arrived at the scene to find Inez awake and alert, lying next to her infant. After her almost seven, after her, yeah, sorry, after her almost seven-inch wound was sewn up with household needle and thread, Inez and her new son were loaded gently onto a straw mat, carried to the town's only road and driven to a local clinic over two hours away, and then onto a hospital 
another eight hours away. End quote. That was all from healthyway.com. Now, my friends, Jesus, just imagine performing a makeshift C-section on yourself and having to travel 16 hours to reach proper medical care. Inez did it and was still alive when she reached the hospital, and so was the kid. There, medics made sure to make sure there was no sepsis or injury to internal organs, and uh, yeah, something called a bowel loop had to be tucked back uh, via surgery on her seventh day in the hospital. We'll not get into what a bowel loop is, but I think you can imagine. Uh, Apparently, some intestines got loosed and You know, honestly, after jabbing yourself with a six-inch knife, that's not too bad, considering, if you think about it. Anyway, after 10 days, Inez and Orlando Ruiz Ramirez, a baby boy, were released, having made a full recovery. Round of fucking applause, right? (laughs) Jesus. Now, if all of this sounds epic and historic, you're absolutely fucking right. Uh, According to IFL, only, only anecdotal accounts of self-inflicted C-sections have been described prior to this, and there are no detailed cases where both the mother and child survive. This is a first. This is the first well-documented case of a person in the middle of fucking nowhere, by the way, cutting themselves open to give birth and survive. Dr. Anerio Galvin and Dr. Jesus Guzman, the two obstetricians who examined her, Uh, 12 hours after the birth, reported on her incredible story. This is why we know it today. Uh, It was immortalized in the International Journal of Gynecology and Obstetrics. That one. You know the one. It was immortalized four years later. This is why we know. And my friends, I gotta say, if you think you may know a badass, you have to ask yourself, are they as badass as Inez? Hmm. Pretty badass. After the break... Just a man and his pet rattlesnake, oh, and his friend, and a car, and a car battery. Now, when you put these things together, you get an award-winning injury. I'm fucking serious. This story actually led to a fucking award. That's how fucked up it is. (laughs) You're going to want to stay tuned. Oh, my God. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M 
Noom.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hey everyone, Jill Chacha here from Well That's Interesting, and I am absolutely thrilled to tell you about Spotify for Podcasters. I use it, I love it, and it all started by downloading the free Spotify for Podcasters app, which has all the tools you need in one place to record and edit your masterpiece of a podcast. Spotify for Podcasters also distributes your show to all major platforms. So when you hit publish, your episodes will stream not only on Spotify, but I'm talking about the Apples, the Googles, Stitcher, Good Pods, the other ones. <laughs> You get the idea. And you can monetize your podcast with no minimum listenership required. You could also set up monthly subscriptions and record ads just like this one. So what are you waiting for? Download Spotify for Podcasters today and start changing the world. Oh, and please, stay interesting. 20th Century Studios presents Vacation Friends 2. Now streaming only on Hulu. Look at us all together again. We just wanted to give you guys a real honeymoon. Shots! Now streaming. Dad! He was just released from jail. Where can I get a drink around here? Back on vacation. This place is nice. It's drug lord nice. I'm sorry, drug lord nice? With more baggage. Ever since he showed up, he turned this relaxing vacation into total chaos. Who does that? Vacation Friends 2. Rated R. Now streaming. Only on Hulu. And we're back. We are so back. And my friends, I'm going to need you to recharge your favorite time machine because we're going farther back in time to a year. Honestly, a lot of you won't even have to change outfits for. I'm talking about the year 1991. I know, just mm, breathe it in. <laughs> this was <laughs> the birth of grunge, flannel, chonky shoes, terrible bang situations. And for some ungodly reason, most face palmy of all, this year was also known for the following. Applying high-voltage, low-current electric shocks to rattlesnake bites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a thing. This had been rumored to be a life-saving alternate to anti-venom among lovers of the great outdoors and even lovers of snakes. You heard me. Applying this pseudoscience to cure a very serious situation was a thing. And thank God people today take medicine seriously. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, so... Anyway, using electric shocks to save oneself from a rattlesnake bite may sound ridiculous to you, so much so you probably think the story we're about to dive into takes place in the magical state of Florida. I know, I, I don't blame you, but can you believe that it doesn't? <laughs> can you believe no? It, in fact, it doesn't even take place in Texas. <laughs> it's actually everyone's favorite third place winner, Arizona. Yeah round of applause. <laughs> it was here at this time, a 28-year-old grown-ass man was doing what a lot of dudes out west in the 90s were doing, playing with his pet rattlesnake. Now, if you're a snake owner, I'm sure getting nicked by your pointy pal is common. In fact, our dude today was bitten 15 times before this fateful day. And um, I'm just curious, is that excessive? Is 15 times excessive? Just please uh, let me know in the comments. Okay, anyway, and unfortunately, our patient really had it up to here with anti-venom. I know, it's a weird beef. Um, but he absolutely hated it. For you see, he was allergic to it. 
So after being injected with the cure, he then had to be treated for the allergy, and it was, it was like a whole thing. In sum, in classic American fashion, he wanted a shortcut. So, after being bitten in the face, this time, that's right, after being bitten in the face, <laughs> he called a friend, and the following went down. Um, just another side note here, I just wanted to take a moment and I just wanted to say, I fucking wish from the deepest parts of my soul that everyone listening right now uh, finds that special someone that you can call and tell them an absolute batshit crazy idea and they're behind you 100%. Despite the stupidity and the danger. I mean, look, if this guy has that someone, that means there is someone out there for you. It's just, yeah. Anyway, back, back to the show. From the case study, which is beautifully titled Failure of Electric Shock Treatment for Rattlesnake Envenomation, quote, based on their understanding of an article in an outdoorsman magazine, <laughs> what a combination of words, the patient and his neighbor had previously established a plan to use electric shock treatment if either was envenomated. <laughs> this, this is a plan. I'm sorry. The patient was placed supine or lying on his back next to a car and a spark plug was attached to his upper lip by a wire with a small clip. The engine was started and repe repeatedly revved to 3000 RPM for approximately five minutes. I'll say that again, just for clarification. He had a car battery hooked to his face for five minutes. Okay, back to the quote. The patient lost consciousness with the first electrical charge, end quote. Hmm. That's not surprising. Um, it's not surprising at all. And neither is what you'd look like after being hooked up to a car battery by the face. Um, yes, my friends, there is a photo on our social media stuffs of our gentleman. It's as bad as you're imagining. But if you do want to see it, I've got you covered. Please come on by our social media stuffs and tap on today's episode post, um, it's very not good. Um, also, not so great, it took the ambulance 15 minutes to get to the scene, where paramedics found him, quote, unconscious and incontinent of stool, aka he shit himself. He also had, quote, low blood pressure, slowed breathing, and swelling in his face, neck, and chest, end quote. Like I mentioned, uh, there's a photo on the good old social media stuffs if you want to take a peek. But my friends, as you probably thought, based on those concerning vitals and the time it would take to drive to the hospital, it was decided he had to be airlifted. Over the next four days, he was kept under close supervision. Excuse me. Over the next four days, he was kept under close supervision while being simultaneously treated for the bite and the wounds inflicted by the electrocution. Again, another great combination of words. Um, I am so very stoked to tell you he fucking survived. Uh, the hospital managed to uh, manage the allergy to the antivenom, and uh, he received reconstructive surgery after losing tissue in his upper lip. Now, my friends, I'm sure it's not surprising to tell you this patient, nor this incident, wasn't the first. Yeah, many a report like this had to be published all to get the word out that electrocuting yourself doesn't help with venomous snake bites. In fact, 
To really drive the point home, there were even studies on this method to get evidence and stats to prove that it didn't work. Yeah. From the previously mentioned case report, quote, Despite many attempts, investigators in the United States have been unable to demonstrate any beneficial effect from electric shock treatment, even when applied under ideal conditions. It is strongly advised that electric shock therapy not be used for the treatment of pit viper poisonings in the United States. End quote. <laughs> note, my friends, note that they mentioned the U.S. twice. And there's a reason. My friends, this shock method was gaining so much traction, 7,000 stun guns marketed to, air quotes, cure snake bites, had been sold in the U.S. by 1990. 7,000. But thanks to these publicized case studies, um, these fucking stun guns and pseudo-cures were ultimately banned by the FDA. Yeah, something actually happened. And uh, there's actually more good news, if you can believe it. Uh, thanks to our patients' valiant yet super-failed efforts in testing car batteries as an alternative to antivenom, he won an Ig Nobel Prize in medicine. And my neighbor's throwing a party. <laughs> just to celebrate, that's perfect timing. <laughs> I don't know if you could hear that, but the music just went on. We're going to go with it. So yes, let's celebrate. He actually fucking won a thing. Now, if you don't know what the fucking Ig Nobel Prize is, please just stop whatever it is you're doing right now. Be it laundry, performing a self-inflicted C-section, for the love of God, just stop and Google Ig Nobel Prize. It's a glorious award ceremony that celebrates achievements and studies that may seem ridiculous, but come to important findings. Like, don't electrocute yourself to treat a snake bite. It doesn't work. It doesn't. And you know what else you shouldn't do? Pick up or handle a venomous snake's head, even after death or decapitation. Yes, that's, that's right. That's right. Today is a two for, I got a two for one for you, because now I'm going to read to you from a glorious letter submitted to the New England Journal of Medicine back in 1999. What a roaring decade for snake bites. Okay, <laughs> something was going on. Anyway, this letter is from the Good Samaritan Regional Medical Center of where else but Phoenix, Arizona, and it is so aptly titled, Envenomations by Rattlesnakes Thought to be Dead. Thought to be dead. And it goes on to say, quote, even after suffering potentially fatal injuries, venomous snakes are capable of injuring humans. Researcher Lawrence M. Clauber uh, performed experiments showing that rattlesnake heads are dangerous for 20 to 60 minutes after decapitation. <laughs> We collected data on patients admitted to our toxicology referral center for rattlesnake bites, and 34 patients were admitted for rattlesnake bites from June 1997 to April 1998, and of these five patients, nearly 15% of the total were men between 20 and 48 years old, and they were bitten by snakes that had been fatally injured and presumed to be dead. End quote. Now, my friends, I have to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say that these five guys really, really, really went out of their way to make sure that the snake in their mists was totally whacked, but it didn't help, and they still got bit. Listen to these details of what they did. <laughs> Quote, patient one 
bludgeoned a rattlesnake on the head with wood, render, rendering it motionless, and was bitten on the right index finger when he picked up the apparently dead snake. He received 20 vials of antivenom. Patient two shot a rattlesnake, striking the head several times and observed no movement for three minutes. When the patient lifted the snake, it envenomated his right index finger and he received 40 vials of antivenom. Patient five was envenomated on the left index finger by a rattlesnake he had presumed to be dead from multiple gunshot wounds, including one to the head. He was bitten while attempting to cut off the rattle. End quote. So they tried. They really, really tried. And my friends, the letter ends just as you think it would, calling out young drunk guys in desperate need of impressing their friends. Quote, young men, particularly while intoxicated, suffer a disproportionate number of illegitimate rattlesnake envenomations. That is, that they occur when a person voluntarily approaches the snake, often to the upper extremities. In some, we found that a sizable portion of patients admitted for, uh, for snake bites were injured when handling snakes they presumed to be dead. Education to prevent snake bites should include warnings against handling recently killed snakes. End quote. So, education, well, you know what? I just did my one good deed for the day, and I'm going to join this fucking party behind me. <laughs> uh, so please, get a professional to handle a dead snake, and um, never, never hook your face to a car battery. Uh, right? So, you're welcome. And thank you for listening, rating, subscribing, blasting your music. <laughs> it's summertime here in New York. This is as good as it's, it's going to get sound-wise. <laughs> so um, tell your friends about the guy who hooked up the car battery to his face and the Inez, wonderful Inez, who performed a fucking C-section and survived. Just absolutely incredible. Be like Inez. And please, stay interesting. <laughs>